The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Okay, coming up to 340 on uh, this Wednesday afternoon. We are going to head to the legislature this afternoon for the daily COVID-19 update. And we're starting things off this afternoon, it looks like, with Premier Kenny. Good afternoon, and I'm pleased to be here for today's uh, daily update on Alberta's response to COVID-19, together with uh, Minister of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women, Leela Ahir, as well as uh, Parliamentary Secretary uh, for Civil Society, Jeremy Nixon, and of course, Chief Medical Officer for Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. We also have uh, the Deputy Minister of Labor and Immigration here available for uh, questions and other uh, senior officials from AHS and Alberta Health. Uh, I'm going to begin with the update on uh, COVID figures in the province and then uh, launch an exciting new initiative to encourage Albertans to support their communities during these tough times uh, and finally make an announcement about uh, further generosity by Alberta uh, to our fellow Canadians facing the pandemic. Starting with today's COVID-19 update, based on 4,151 test results over the last 24 hours, the number of confirmed infections has increased by 306 to a total of 3,401. There have also been five more deaths, uh, bringing the total in Alberta to 66. And of course, uh, uh, we once again extend our our condolences to the families uh, of uh, all of those whose uh, lives have been lost over the past several weeks as a result of this pandemic. The number of recovered cases in our province has now reached 1,310, and the vast majority of those uh, have recovered at home. Today, 70 Albertans are being treated in our hospitals for COVID illness, and amongst those, 18 are in intensive care units. The number of hospitalizations has risen recently, but is still well below the the level uh, projected in the AHS modeling, which we released two weeks ago. So overall, Albertans are still doing a very good job of containing uh, and managing this pandemic. If we stay vigilant and disciplined about practicing rigorous personal hygiene, staying home as much as possible, and maintaining physical distancing, wearing a face covering in crowded spaces, and observing all of the other public health orders, we'll be able to look at cautiously restarting the economy as soon as possible on the advice of our public health officials. Tomorrow, I will be meeting with our relaunch working group, and I hope to have an update for the public next week on more details of Alberta's relaunch strategy. I know that people are getting increasingly impatient, but for us uh, simply to imagine that if we were to reopen everything today and the numbers would stay where they are now is has absolutely no basis in the science of, uh, of epidemiology or the experience of this particular virus. Uh, as I said two weeks ago to Albertans, if we let the virus loose, we would lose the value of all of the sacrifices that we have made to date and we would simply have to shut down even more of our economy more harshly and probably for a longer period of time, causing even more damage. So I, I know this is getting increasingly difficult for Albertans, but I do believe with the progress we've made that we can see light at the end of the tunnel here and we are doing so much better than many other jurisdictions exactly because Albertans have risen to the challenge. Remember when I said that the AH models were not our 
fate. They were a challenge. We must continue to meet that challenge. As of today, 108,521 people have been tested for COVID-19, averaging 2,164 per day since the 4th of March. With testing now expanded to anyone with symptoms, as well as everyone in outbreak locations, like continuing care facilities where positive cases have been confirmed, uh, inevitably the number of positive tests has increased pretty significantly. The more we test, the more we can track, isolate and control the spread. We still lead all provinces in per capita testing and we'll continue to ramp up those numbers even higher as they'll be an essential part of our relaunch strategy. The story of the pandemic in Alberta has included uh, the tragic loss of life as well as extreme social and economic disruption. But it's also been a story of outstanding leadership from Dr. Hinshaw and the team at Alberta Health as well as Alberta Health Services, a story of compassion and courage, uh, a story of duty from our frontline healthcare workers and the sacrifice from an army of unsung heroes who are sustaining our essential supplies and services throughout our economy. It's also a story of selfless acts of human kindness by community groups, civil society organizations, faith groups, businesses, and ordinary Albertans on their own, uh, working to help uh, the, their neighbors and strangers they'd never met before. From the legions of volunteers who have signed up with groups like Meals on Wheels to deliver food to shut-in seniors or others in need of help, to the Sikh temple in Calgary whose congregants are making free meals for truckers who are keeping our supply chains going, to the folks at Western RV Country who are donating RVs for healthcare workers to live in if they, if, so they don't have to put their uh, families at risk of transmission, to the Calgary small business owner who started sewing cloth masks for people in her community after her mom passed away at the Mackenzie Town long-term care facility. The Alberta spirit of community, of solidarity, is creating a virtual stampede of volunteer effort and charitable giving. And today I want to extend that to a call to action to all Albertans who are healthy and are able to do so, to consider helping their neighbors uh, at this time of need. I think there is a misperception that uh, observing the public health measures means not being able to help others. But healthy people can volunteer and are needed to volunteer for so many organizations organizations, many of whom have lost many members of their volunteer base in recent days, as long as people do so closely following the public health guidelines. I myself marked National Volunteer Week uh, earlier this week by pitching in for a shift uh, preparing meals at Edmonton's uh, Meals on Wheels. And I could see from the temperature check they gave me on the way in to the questionnaire I had to fill out to the rigorous hand washing to the PPE they had me wear uh, and uh, to the spacing of the volunteers, a great example. Uh, and you know who was standing next to me in the line? A Red Seal chef and a, uh, a certified cook who, of course, can't work at their businesses. They're giving of their time to help their fellow neighbors, and we need other Albertans to do the same. So if you're healthy, check out opportunities to volunteer with these groups or with AHS or your faith community or any one of the many local efforts I've mentioned. And so today, we are pleased in particular uh, to launch 
an important tool to help Albertans help their neighbors. We are launching the Alberta Cares Connector, a new website created by the Volunteer Centre of Calgary in partnership with Alberta's government. And Minister here will have more details, but by going to this site, you'll be able uh, to connect with local charities that need your help, uh, provide them with your contact information in a secure and private way, and, and that will help uh, to connect you to where the needs exist. Um, the Albertans gave government a mandate uh, to support the, uh, the, all of the organizations and people who do so much th through volunteerism. One of those commitments was to create a Premier's Charities Council, which was launched at the start of the pandemic uh, with a $30 million fund uh, to support civil society groups fighting against the pandemic. The government has also, as Minister here announced last week, uh, launched a, um, a charitable contribution matching program to incentivize more charitable giving, which is needed now more than ever. And today we're keeping another commitment in launching the Northern Lights Award to recognize recognize Albertans who are doing amazing things in their communities uh, to help their, com uh, their fellow Al Albertans. Uh, there is no shortage of deserving candidates for this award amongst all the community groups and individuals who are helping uh, to fight COVID-19. But today I'm happy to announce the very first recipient of the Northern Lights Award. His name is Owen Plum. He's a, in grade nine, lives in Okotoks, and he's spending his time at home making when he's not doing his, uh, his, his dad's actually a teacher, so his homeschool is delivered right at home. Uh, but Owen has done an amazing job um, working with other folks in, in the Okotoks area, printing protective face shields for health workers uh, and others on his 3D printer. Uh, he obtained funding from the local Rotary Club and GoFundMe and partnered with Fuse 33 uh, Makerspace in Calgary and Sieb Incorporated, a, a metal fabrication shop in Alderside for materials. I spoke to Owen and his dad earlier today on Zoom and I thank them uh, for their selfless effort and enterprise as the very first recipient of Alberta's Northern Lights Award. A great example for all of us and Minister here will provide more information. Finally, I would like to, in the spirit of Alberta's uh, tradition of, of generosity, underscore uh, some more contributions that we will be making to Canada's fight against the pandemic. Uh, as you know, um, one province in particular has been hit harder than others, and that's the province of Quebec. Today, it's reporting 21,000 uh, confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 1,134 deaths. And we, we join with our fellow Canadians in Quebec in mourning those losses. There are over 1,300 uh, in hospital and over 200 in intensive care, so more than 10 times the number of Albertans in intensive care with COVID. Our rates of infection, hospitalization, ICU admissions, and ventilator use are much, much lower and far below what we had modeled. And our stockpile of medical equipment, including ventilators, remains far larger than both our current and anticipated needs, even based on the elevated model that we released two weeks ago. That's why we were able to send millions of masks, goggles, gloves, and other protective equipment to Ontario, British Columbia, and Quebec about 10 days ago. It's also why later this week we will be sending 20,000 procedural masks to the Northwest Territories. It 
a, a, a community to which Alberta is closely connected. But we still have hundreds more ventilators than we expect to need, even at the peak uh, of the pandemic under our probable elevated modeling scenarios. We currently have about 600 ventilators on hand. And at any given day, about 100 people, both COVID and non-COVID related patients, are using ventilators, meaning we have roughly 500 available in the current system and many more that we are procuring or developing for use. Uh, and so we uh, project that we will have a margin of several hundred ventilators even at the peak of pandemics of the pandemic in Alberta. Given that abundance of supply, we cannot stand by indifferently as COVID threatens the lives of our fellow Canadians in other areas, including Quebec. So in the spirit of Canadian compassion, Alberta is providing this week 25 ventilators to the province of Quebec to help them in the fight against the pandemic and to save the lives of Canadians. Crews finished assembling the custom-made shipping containers last weekend and the ventilators were shipped to Quebec on Monday. Healthcare authorities in Quebec will distribute them to where they are most needed and then they will be returned to Alberta uh, when the need is, is no longer as great in Quebec. One thing we need to remember is they're about three weeks ahead of us in terms of the curve. And so we hope that once they pass that curve, they'll be able to return this equipment to us. Uh, so those ventilators are being sent to Quebec along with our hopes and prayers for uh, our fellow Canadians to get through this with all of us together. And I'm going to repeat the same uh, portion of that in French. So uh, bear with me and then I will introduce Minister here and then we'll hear from Dr. Hinshaw. L'Alberta se mobilise à aider nos concitoyens canadiens pendant la crise de la COVID-19. Aucune province n'a été plus gravement touchée par la pandémie. You've been listening to uh, the start of the COVID-19 Alberta update for today. We've uh, started with our Premier Jason Kenney, who provided the numbers for the update. Um, we've had 306 new cases so far for a total of 3,401. There were five new deaths recorded in the past 24 hours, bringing our numbers to 66. We've had 1,310 people recover. Now, of those um, who are ill right now, 70 are in hospital, 18 in the ICU. Premier Kenny saying that, um, that they're going to start looking at at the modeling, they're going to start looking at some of the data and then start working towards opening up the economy again. But he says we have to be patient, we have to be diligent, we have to continue to follow all of the um, <coughs> social distancing rules that the province has been put in place because you don't want the floodgates to open again. Um, as far as testing goes, we've had over 108,000 people tested in the province so far. That's equaling about 2,164 daily, and I know that the province has wanted to wrap that up. I think that they said that the capacity was about 7,000 a day. Uh, one of the things he also announced was the Northern Lights Award. Uh, we'll have more details on that coming up and uh, just announcing that sending more, um, that uh, are planning to send uh, some equipment, some ventilators 
to Quebec. Quebec um, is the hardest hit province right now in the country when it comes to COVID-19. So, I'm like, uh, so we will be sending uh, ventilators uh, to the province in the coming days and also 20,000 masks, procedural masks to the Northwest Territories uh, this week. Again, we're just waiting for Premier Kenny to wrap up his presentation. Then we'll get into um, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. And I think there's another minister who is about to speak as well. Let's head back to the news conference. Who is on all the plus besoin? Et les ventilateurs seront renvoyés ici en Alberta après la fin de la pandémie. Le Québec a une avance de trois semaines sur l'Alberta en ce qui concerne la vague. Les ventilateurs seront accompagnés de nos meilleurs souhaits et nos prières pour le succès et la sécurité, euh, le bon santé de nos concitoyens, nos amis canadiens au Québec. And with that, I'm happy to introduce Minister here. Good afternoon, and before I begin, I would just like to give my condolences to the families of those who have lost loved ones. Good afternoon. Thank you, Premier Kenny, for your inspiring words about the powerful effects of stepping up and lending a hand through volunteerism. I'd like to recognize the phenomenal work being done across our province by so many of Albertans of every age, like Owen Plum. Thank you so much, Owen. Alberta's nonprofit and voluntary sector is the foundation of what makes Alberta the best place to live. What really speaks to is our spirit of volunteerism is that our province has more than 26,400 nonprofit organizations. These organizations are integral in delivering the essential services we rely on every day, especially during this crisis. Each year, more than 1.6 million Albertans provide more than 262 million volunteer hours to the nonprofit and voluntary sector at a value of $5.6 billion. This is an incredible contribution, and we must do everything that we can to help support this sector. The Premier's new charity of count, uh, the Charities Council is key to strengthening the nonprofits, and I would like to take a moment to recognize my very dear friend, Parliamentary Secretary for Community and Social Services, Jeremy Nixon, who sits on the Council, and in fact, he was at Centre Street Church just yesterday in Calgary as he worked alongside volunteers there building hampers for needy folks in those communities, and I would just like to take a moment and thank him for stepping up to participate in these efforts and highlighting the essential work that is taking place. His vast experience in leadership roles with a number of nonprofits will provide a valuable first-hand perspective for the Premier's Council on Charities. And as they work to support and understand the sector's needs and challenges now and as we move forward. COVID-19 was first identified in our province early in March. And since that time, I've been absolutely honored to spend many hours speaking and learning from our nonprofit organizations, faith and cultural communities. And I would just like to take a moment to thank them from the bottom of my heart for sharing their wisdom and insight. We know that the pandemic is bringing 
even more challenges. And though many would see this as a struggle to fill gaps amid skyrocketing demands, our nonprofits and volunteers who participated are motivated and they are mobilizing to help in our communities and they continue to serve our most vulnerable. They are coping with the economic impacts of the pandemic and that includes loss of revenues, closures, layoffs and increased costs. Many are losing longtime volunteers, especially our incredible and large population of senior volunteers as they need to self-isolate, stay home, keep healthy, flatten the curve and save lives. Volunteers are the heartbeat of nonprofits. And if you are healthy, we need you, Albertans, to give their time and talents now more than ever. Albertans are proud and we have the highest volunteer rates across Canada and they take action in countless ways as the Premier had mentioned to meet the needs of our communities. We would like to take a moment to thank all Albertans for their many acts of kindness and overwhelming community spirit during this pandemic. The need for volunteers will only increase as we go forward. So this is a call to action. Healthy Albertans looking to visit or looking to help can visit our new Alberta Cares Connector website, www.albertacaresconnector, all one word, .ca. Through the website, volunteers can find opportunities to volunteer in a variety of ways, and organizations can also post volunteer opportunities. I would just like to take a moment to thank our incredible Dr. Hinshaw and her team as they have helped to develop safety guidelines for those who are stepping up to take on these opportunities. All Albertans should know that any contribution is meaningful. The smallest act can mean so much to another person. The selfless acts that we see over and over again make a huge difference, which is why we are announcing the new Alberta Northern Lights Volunteer Recognition Program today. We want to show our appreciation and acknowledge anyone who is helping their community in any way. Keeping in mind that all contributions have meaning, there are no requirements for hours of service and uh, any individual or group who helps in their community is eligible for an Alberta Northern Lights Volunteer Recognition Award. As you know, there are many stories of the amazing everyday Albertans doing what they can, working together, and these are stories that we really need to hear. From gathering and sorting food at food banks, caring for animals who have been displaced, to musicians, artists, and fitness instructors providing access to lessons, or working online, we wanna share these stories to those who are making a difference for so many. In a time when people feel lost, being a volunteer brings our communities together. It is rewarding, helping to give back in a world where we're really feeling a lack of control. The joy of serving our neighbors will help build an even stronger Alberta. So please nominate a special volunteer for the Alberta Northern Lights Volunteer Award and thank them and share their gift with this story. I'd like to finish today with a really beautiful poem by Canadian poet Robin Petrick that I think conveys the spirit of Northern Lights volunteers and how they uplift us, and especially in times like these. The Northern Lights painted the sky with stories we hadn't heard yet. 
We leaned back, letting the colors wash over us and paint new dreams for us to follow. Thank you. And now I'd like to invite Dr. Hinshaw to present the daily update. Thank you, Minister. Good afternoon, everyone. I want to begin by letting you know that we have identified our first COVID-19 case in Alberta on a First Nation. Alberta Health Services is working with Sucker Creek First Nation to follow up on a single case there. This individual was a contact of a case in High Prairie and is currently self-isolating. There is no outbreak on the First Nation and we are disclosing this case at the request of that nation to make sure that people have accurate information. The First Nation was well prepared, like other First Nations, and they are responding effectively with help from AHS and Indigenous Services Canada. I also want to note that this community is dealing with a non-COVID related emergency in the form of a flood. It is important to make sure those efforts are not hampered by inaccurate perceptions. As serious as COVID is, communities across Alberta are dealing with other challenges as well. I'd like to commend Sucker Creek First Nation for showing exceptional resilience with support from a strong partnership of health services and all levels of government. And they have my best wishes as they deal with this issue of the flood. For the daily numbers, we have confirmed an additional 306 cases over the last 24 hours, bringing the total number of cases in Alberta to 3,401. Of these, 1,310 people have recovered. Unfortunately, I must also report five additional deaths today, bringing our total to 66. There are also two additional tests in Brooks in people with COVID tests pending. One of these individuals was a worker at the JBS plant site. While we do not know if these two deaths were COVID related, I want it to be clear that investigations are underway to determine that. I want to offer my condolences to the family and friends of all who have lost loved ones. As I have said before, whether we lose loved ones from COVID or any other causes during this time, our grieving process and ability to gather is different under the current restrictions. My sympathies go out to all those mourning the loss of loved ones. Today's total case numbers include 32 confirmed cases directly linked to the Curl Lake outbreak. Of these, 25 individuals are located in Alberta, with 10 being isolated at the work camp and 15 off-site. In addition, seven cases are now being managed outside Alberta, with five in BC, one in Saskatchewan and one in Nova Scotia. You have heard me talking in previous days about the work to verify case numbers. So while this may seem like a rise, I want to assure people that what has happened is we were able to bring all the sources of information together to get the accurate count for today. As of today, there are 375 cases and 44 deaths in continuing care facilities across Alberta. I know many Albertans, including me, want the numbers to stop growing and for outbreaks to end as soon as they are identified. Believe me when I say we are doing everything possible to limit the spread of this virus, both within outbreak settings and across Alberta. My local AHS counterparts are working hard to limit the spread in households linked to the Cargill plant and other outbreaks and to protect the health of everyone involved. 
Many of the new cases today are linked to outbreaks in Brooks and in households linked to the Cargill plant, which is a reminder of how quickly the virus can spread through close contact. I am working with my colleagues in AHS to offer all necessary supports to households impacted by this virus so that the spread can be stopped. We continue to need all hands on deck to keep the spread of the virus contained, not just in outbreaks, but all across the province. That means not just those who are in formal positions and those who are employed in the response, but also those who are volunteers supporting their communities. On that note, I want to echo the comments made by the Premier and Minister here. Anyone connected to the health system knows the incredibly important role that volunteers play in delivering care to Albertans. Even in the best of times, we could not function without them. COVID-19 is a unique challenge and the need for volunteers is greater than ever. I have often said that we are all in this together. That is why I am asking that any Albertans who are not at high risk of severe outcomes and are able to volunteer, consider how they might contribute. I know that during COVID-19, volunteering may seem dangerous. Of course, volunteers must follow all necessary precautions to prevent the spread of novel coronavirus for their own protection and the protection of those they help. We have guidelines available on our website to support organizations and individuals looking to protect their health and the health of those around them. It is equally important that we recognize the volunteers and acts of generosity that are occurring all around us. If you know an amazing volunteer, tell them how much you appreciate them and definitely nominate them for the new recognition program. Kindness is contagious and our greatest strength during COVID-19 is each other. I would like to end by reiterating that testing for COVID-19 is available to anyone with symptoms in the province. Our testing rate continues to be one of the highest in the world and we have the capacity to enable anyone with symptoms to get tested. I have heard some reluctance from some people to get tested and I would say to anyone who is ill and not sure if they should be tested, that the more information we have about the spread of the virus in our communities, the better equipped we are to plan our return to more activities and businesses operating. Without this information, it's like driving in the dark. Help us shed light on what our current situation with the virus is by getting tested. If you are experiencing a fever, cough, sore throat, shortness of breath or runny nose, please complete the online health assessment to arrange for that testing to happen. As always, thank you for doing your part to contain the spread. We are always stronger together. For the benefit of those on the phone line, um, we have available for questions, Premier Jason Kenney, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Chief Medical Officer of Health, Minister Leila Ahir, Minister of Culture, Multiculturalism and Status of Women, Jeremy Nixon, Parliamentary Secretary for Civil Society, Sean McLeod, Deputy Minister for Labour and Immigration, and Dr. Mark Joffrey, uh, Vice President with AHS. Operator, can you please put through the first caller? Chris Barto with the Calgary Herald. Go ahead, Chris. Hi, I actually have uh, two questions. One is a clarification for Dr. Hinshaw. Dr. Hinshaw, can you uh, just tell us the updated numbers that are connected to the Brooks JBS plant and separately to the Cargill plant? And then for the Premier, I have a question just about the outbreaks at Cargill and the Curl Oil Sands plant. How is that influencing your thinking on how quickly 
you can reopen the economy or the expectations and the changes uh, that that might lead to. So for the first question, uh, at the JBS plant, there are currently 96 confirmed cases and workers from that plant. Uh, in Cargill, there are 440 cases in workers from that plant, uh, but the larger outbreak, including households, is up to 580 cases uh, linked, again, um, not all coming from Cargill, but in cases that are linked to that outbreak. Thanks very much, Chris. <clears throat> Pardon me. First, let me just offer some context here. Uh, we have some 200 licensed meat processing facilities in Alberta, uh, and we've seen significant outbreaks in two uh, of those, so in uh, 1%. Uh, 99% have uh, fortunately not seen uh, the, the, the uh, this problem of uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, outbreak on their facilities. Similarly, we have hundreds of oil feed production sites, including in situ sites across the province. Uh, and uh, to the best of my knowledge, we've only seen an outbreak in one curl. So I'd like to see this as a reflection of uh, our success in containing the spread. And we've acted quickly where there have been outbreaks. Um, we uh, will be developing and releasing in the days to come uh, key metrics to uh, guide our relaunch strategy. Obviously, we want to get Albertans back to work as soon as it is safe to do so, uh, but not before that. And like other jurisdictions around the world, we will pursue a phased and prudent approach. We won't and can't just reopen everything all at once. Um, but uh, when we're talking about uh, meat processing facilities, uh, uh, oil sands production facilities, these constitute essential economic infrastructure. Uh, um, first, The first in respect of uh, food security, and the latter in terms of the largest uh, producer of, of energy that we need as well as uh, a, a central part of our economy and jobs. So um, I think it's we've been right to take a, a measured and balanced approach uh, to suspend many non-essential activities in the economy, continue to operate those essential industries, to do so with great rigor, um, at, at respecting the public health uh, rules that have been put in place. Um, but, um, you know, I, I would say this. Um, if we continue significantly to uh, see numbers of, in, of um, hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and fatalities that are well below the AHS modeling, uh, I hope that means we'll be, get, be able to begin the, the relaunch earlier than originally expected. But we're just going to have to monitor these, these, these things very closely. Obviously, we've seen a growth in confirmed infections in the past week because of those three sites in particular. That is obviously of concern. So to folks who want us just to, to reopen right now, my response to them would be these uh, localized outbreaks are cause for us to be cautious. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is David Staples with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead, David. Uh, this is on a somewhat lighter topic. The, there's uh, reports out of the United States today about the NHL uh, perhaps staging playoffs. In June and July, there would not be fans in the stands. It would be a TV-only event. And they're looking at, uh, the reports are have been looking at four different sites, one of them in Alberta, Edmonton. 
So I'm curious uh, what both Dr. Hinshaw and Premier Kenny think of this, and what steps or hurdles would the NHL have to clear in order for this event to happen um, later in June or in July? Well, I can say that I did receive a call from uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, um, who uh, wanted to ask some questions about Alberta's status in uh, combating COVID, and uh, uh, there was a very general conversation. Uh, we have not received a formal proposal of any kind. Um, I underscored that uh, uh, if, there w if a proposal were forthcoming, we would obviously expect uh, uh, the league to prepare a very detailed uh, plan to mitigate risk. Uh, and so uh, I can't really comment further. Um, I would just say that um, uh, obviously as we get into the summer, we, we hope to be able to uh, to see somewhat more activity in our as part of our relaunch, um, it, it's pretty clear to me that if something like that were to happen, uh, we would not have uh, large crowds gathering in arenas. Um, but I gather the NHL is looking at at finishing the season uh, in arenas uh, for televised television purposes, uh, but without large crowds. Whether or not we could accommodate that, we do not yet know. We have not yet uh, received a formal request. And obviously, we would turn uh, to the chief medical officer uh, for her advice. Thank you, Premier. And I would just add to that that uh, we have very clear requirements under the public health measures that are currently in place. And so as we look at the future and look at that relaunch, those may shift and change based on our epidemiology and where our numbers are. And so whatever those orders are and the requirements are, we'd be looking to see a proposal that lines up with those. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Tyler Dock with the National Post. Go ahead, Tyler. Hey, uh, this question's for the Premier. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, for a little bit further comment on Martin Lee in Hong Kong and the consulate uh, giving you a bit of trouble over your tweet. Well, Martin Lee has been a friend of mine for nearly 25 years. I first met him, I think, in 1996, uh, and uh, he is a remarkable man. Uh, he is known as the father of democracy in Hong Kong. He is the co-author of the Basic Law, uh, which created the system of uh, One Nation, Two Systems. Uh, he was a leading member of the Legislative Council of Hong Kong for, uh, I think, 15 years. He was the founder of what is now known as the Democratic Party. He's one of the most respected people in Hong Kong, and he is he has received uh, multiple awards uh, for uh, as being a human rights champion uh, from all around the world. And I'm proud to call him a friend. Uh, I acknowledge that. Look, Alberta doesn't have a foreign policy, and I uh, don't uh, freelance in foreign policy. But I'll I'll just say this: when a personal friend of mine is arrested as a political prisoner, I cannot. Con uh, in good conscience, remain silent. And that's why I expressed my concern uh, about Martin, about his detention, uh, and called for his release. I'm glad to see he has been released on bail, uh, but um, I uh, make no apologies for uh, speaking out uh, f uh, in the interests of a great uh, champion of human rights and democracy uh, who, uh, who was uh, a political prisoner last week. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? 
Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Emma. Yeah, good day, everybody. Um, this question goes to the Premier. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of things about AIMCO. Um, first of all, you know, it is set up to have independence, obviously. I don't think anyone's arguing that. Um, but should the losses have been disclosed to the public, so, sorry, uh, particularly when it comes to heritage? Yeah? Sorry, Emma, should, should what have been disclosed? I didn't hear that. Should losses have been disclosed to the public, particularly around the Heritage Saving Trust Fund? And does this loss um, raise questions with the government regarding the amount of risk that AIMCO took on? Um, should there be consequences? And finally, do you still want to rip Alberta out of the CPP and put all the pensions into AIMCO given the $4 billion loss? Well, first of all, let me say, uh, reinforce that AIMCO, the, the Alberta Investment Management Corporation, uh, is an independent crown corporation. Uh, their investment uh, strategy is overseen by the board of directors. Uh, of course, uh, they do invest funds on behalf of Albertans, including through the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund. And their mandate is to maximize returns. Uh, they have a very good track record in having done so. Uh, obviously, like every major investment fund over the past several weeks, they've uh, seen significant losses. Um, I mean, we've seen uh, at, at least at what things are so topsy-turvy, it's hard to follow from day to day. But at least at one point, uh, the, uh, the Dow was down by over 30 percent, the TSX by even more. So uh, it is not surprising that we would see uh, in investment funds of all scales and all places uh, incurring losses right now. In terms of reporting those to the public, AIMCO does have to report uh, its performance on a regular basis. I believe there's a quarterly uh, Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund report, by the way, and obviously there are regular reports to the boards uh, that oversee investments of the various pension funds uh, whose investments are managed by AIMCO. So there is a regular trans uh, reporting requirement to ensure for accountability. There is, as you know, a standing committee of the legislature that oversees uh, Albert Heritage Savings Trust Fund uh, investments. And I believe that, that senior executives from uh, AIMCO uh, appear before that, that committee to answer questions. Um, so finally, with respect to uh, the future of pensions, we're waiting to receive the report from the Fair Deal panel. Um, that is not about investment strategy. It's about demography. Alberta has the youngest population in Canada. And therefore, our uh, participation in the CP represents a net transfer of wealth from Alberta to the rest of the country. Uh, and, I, and so I think it's quite reasonable for Albertans to ask whether we would be better off and be able to operate uh, a, pension, a public pension plan at lower premiums that would help us to create more jobs while uh, main, in keeping those returns uh, here in Alberta. That's a question we're going to come back to once we get through the crisis and once we We've had a chance to receive and digest the Fair Deal panel report. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Jeff Slack, 660 News. Go ahead, Jeff. Hi, this is uh, for Dr. Dina Hinshaw. I'm just uh, asking for clarification and then a question. So on Monday, uh, it said that there were 559 cases suspected to be community acquired, but then on Tuesday, the number dropped to 281. Just wondering why uh, that was. And then my main question is, uh, how low do daily cases need to get and for how long before we can start looking at loosening health restrictions? 
So with respect to the suspected community transmission, what happens is we, we get cases that are reported to us. And if on the initial case report, it doesn't say that they were connected to a known case, they fall into that bucket of, of suspected community transmission. Uh, but as public health does their investigation, does the follow-up to determine where that case may have been acquired, they sometimes get new information that determines that they were connected to a known case or uh, to a, a site where there were other cases connected. So that's what happened with that significant drop is that we did have uh, and I don't have the details of, of where those people were connected to, but uh, it's possible that it could have been um, one of the outbreaks that's currently underway. So having people who initially came in and then were identified as actually having a connection and then being uh, allocated into that um, other category of known exposures. With respect to how low the case count needs to get, uh, really I think there, there are two things that are important. One is that we're seeing stable or declining uh, rates, particularly of hospitalization, which is going to be our most stable indicator over time. Our total cases are affected by our testing strategy. So going forward, that will hopefully remain stable. We intend to uh, remain accessible to all Albertans who have symptoms going forward. Um, but what we want to see is stable or declining hospitalizations and ideally stable or declining case numbers as well over uh, a time period of, of one to two weeks. But that also has to be um, taken into account that that's part of the picture and then the other part of the picture is where those cases are coming from. And if we have the ability to, for example, identify that many of them are for one particular location or outbreak, and if we have the means to control that outbreak, uh, then again, it's, it's sort of part of a larger picture of the stories behind the cases, how we're able to control it, and those trends over time, rather than an absolute cutoff. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Audrey Nouveau with Radio Canada. Go ahead, Audrey. Hi, my, my question is for Dr. Inshaw. Uh, I spoke to several advocates who think that it might be a good idea to reopen certain parks, uh, provincial parks, for example, to allow people more access to nature as it would benefit their mental health. Uh, but I guess that there are uh, problems with uh, social distancing and maintenance. So how do you balance the need to help people maintain a good mental health during this pandemic with this need to be outside and access nature, especially as we've seen sidewalks being really crowded this weekend with the nice weather? Yes, it's a good question and we know especially as the weather finally warms up that uh, people want to be outside for good reasons. Uh, so by the end of this week we will have some guidance around outdoor activities uh, that people can do safely and thinking about how to stay socially distant from others. With respect to the provincial parks question, uh, I would say that that question is, is one that's not uh, as easy as just my advice. There's operational considerations about the parks as well as the ability to keep people socially distant. Uh, and so those decisions are ones that are made by the Emergency Management Committee of Cabinet, making sure that we're thinking not only about the safety of people who use the parks, uh, but the safety of the staff who work in the parks. Uh, and earlier this year, uh, we did see a significant number of people in the parks uh, on one particular weekend before vehicle access was closed, where distancing restrictions were not being followed, where there was a great deal of, of garbage and litter left behind. Um, and so there was a, a concern 
concern that it would be difficult to safely keep those open. So again, there's other concerns besides just social distancing. But I will say that uh, we are looking at all of these considerations as we make the, the relaunch plan, as I, I've given my advice into the framework that's going to be going forward for discussion, because we do know that people need to be able to exercise, they need to be able to be outside. That is important. Uh, so again, just wanting to make sure we do it in a way that's safe for people. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Alana Smith with Post Media. Go ahead, Alana. Hi, Dr. Henshaw. I just have a question in reference to your order restricting staff from working at more than one healthcare facility. Um, a union that represents about 30,000 nurses in Alberta said that Alberta Health Services is misinterpreting the order and is applying it to some sites that aren't named in the order while not applying it to other sites that are named in the order. I'm just wondering if you could provide any clarity on how the province intends to restrict employee movement among the work, work sites. Sorry. So uh, the intention of the order was to restrict staff who are working in long-term care or designated supportive living sites to work in only one site. Uh, we do know that some staff work in other settings such as acute care or home care and then in uh, a long-term care site. Uh, and so it is. it would be ideal to restrict people to as few sites as possible. However, the intent of the order is to start with those sites that are at the highest risk, which is those long long-term care and designated supportive living sites because the people in those locations are some of our most at-risk people and we know that when staff move from site to site uh, that can put people at risk. It can put us all at risk of spread of the virus from one facility to the other. And so we are moving to implement that order working in collaboration with operators including Alberta Health Services. And so I just learned of, of that grievance just before media availability today and, and I guess what I would say is uh, there are details that are still being worked out and so hopeful that we can find mutually agreeable solutions uh, but the importance of this order really is to protect the most vulnerable. Operator can you please put through the next caller. The next is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead Kevin. Hi there before I ask my question I just want to confirm that uh, I heard correctly and Lisa Chen the director of occupational health and safety is not on the stage and cannot answer questions. That is correct. Okay. But the Deputy uh, Minister of uh, Labor and Immigration is here and can answer those questions. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I do have some OHS questions, so I'm going to go forward with that then. So has OHS opened a fatality investigation into the death of a Cargill worker? And can either OHS or uh, Dr. Hinshaw confirm a death of a worker uh, who worked at the JBS plant in Brooks? Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, my comments will relate to occupational health and safety's uh, ongoing activities with respect to both the uh, Cargill and the JBS facilities. Occupational health and safety is currently conducting investigations at both of these facilities. These investigations are looking at the circumstances surrounding potential exposure of workers at this facilities to the uh, COVID-19 disease. This will include investigations of any potential non-compliance that may have affected the health and safety of workers at the facility. The investigation has commenced and will take as long as is needed uh, to gather the appropriate information. And finally, given the fact that this is an ongoing investigation and that Occupational Health and Safety is the regulator in this circumstance, uh, OHNS is unable to comment further at this time with respect to the specifics of those, of those investigations. I think that um, 
I think that answers the first question. I don't know if I have an answer to the second question. So I can answer the second question. Uh, my colleague, uh, the local medical officer of health, did inform me today that uh, there was a death in a worker from JBS. However, that worker uh, was not known to be a case of COVID, and uh, so it's not clear what the cause of death was. Uh, and so there is an investigation that's underway, as would happen with any, uh, any death that happened in the community. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, I believe this question is for Dr. Hinshaw. How concerning is this uh, first confirmed case in a First Nations community and what's being done, uh, what's specifically being done to help that particular community out to try and contain this case? So uh, with respect to this particular case, um, as I mentioned, the case was uh, contact of a case in High Prairie, so uh, there's no outbreak in this particular community. Uh, this case was quickly identified and is in self-isolation. Uh, so the simple fact of, of having a, a case appear in that community um, when it's very well managed uh, is not particularly concerning because uh, what's important is that cases are being able to be detected and we have worked very closely between the Ministry of Health, Alberta Health Services, Indigenous Services Canada uh, and the nations to make sure that there is access to testing and access to personal protective equipment uh, and that work is ongoing and making sure that, that the nations have the support that they need and as I mentioned earlier the First Nations in this province have done a remarkable job of preparing for the pandemic and making sure that contingency plans are in place so with respect to this particular nation the greatest threat that is currently impacting them is the flood that they're dealing with uh, and it is really important that people understand that this one single case has been appropriately dealt with and managed and the potential of spread is being contained and so this nation should be supported to deal with their flood situation uh, without inaccurate information about uh, that concern about spread. Operator can you please put through the next caller? Grant Thompson with iPolitics. Go ahead Grant. Thank you. Um, Premier, a question for the Premier. Just going back to the issue of AIMCO, we've got the, um, the Alberta Teachers Association today uh, repeating calls for the government uh, to reverse its decision to transfer teacher pensions uh, under the control of AIMCO because of what happened with that big loss. Is this something you're going to go ahead with? Um, you're still going to transfer control to AIMCO? Was there any sort of um, second thought to that? No, we were never going to transfer control to AIMCO. Uh, Graham, the premise of your question is completely unfactual. Uh, the board of the Alberta Teacher Retirement Fund would continue to be the governing authority under the legislation. Uh, and uh, AIMCO would simply act as the investment agency uh, for the board, uh, as it does for every other public pension fund in Alberta. Uh, and so each board gets to develop its own uh, investment strategy, its risk profile, uh, its expectation on returns, uh, 
and uh, then it's up to the investment agency to execute on that. Um, that is how these things operate. And uh, what this uh, transfer does is to save uh, teachers $20 million a year in premiums. It saves taxpayers $20 million in administration costs by eliminating an un unnecessary duplication of investment administration. It also uh, ultimately will generate uh, better returns by increasing the scale of, of AIMCO's portfolio, allowing it to uh, invest prudently in a larger class of assets, also allowing it further to diversify its portfolio, thereby diminishing risk. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and finally, uh, Graham, uh, there, in that uh, debate, there seems to have been a widespread misconception uh, that uh, somehow the ATRF is a defined contribution plan, where some have errantly suggested that the returns are dependent uh, the, the benefits are dependent on the investment returns. That is, of course, completely untrue as well. This is a defined benefit plan where the benefits paid to the uh, uh, pension beneficiaries uh, are set in, in law regardless of the returns that are generated and ultimately it's to, uh, the guarantee is provided by the crown so ultimately it's, it's a decision of the government of alberta as how, how to most e efficiently ensure returns to uh, indemnify alberta taxpayers in, should there be any future unfunded liability uh, and let me also add that um the the uh, I mentioned the crash in the in the markets we've seen globally. Uh, I didn't want to give uh, the impression to anybody that uh, Amco has suffered a a similar loss in scale. In fact, uh, the loss uh, of, uh, that has been incurred by Amco's broader portfolio of investments uh, is is a fraction of what we've seen in terms of the financial markets over the past several weeks. Okay, we have time for two more operator. Can you please pick through the next caller? Next is Carolyn Dunn with CBC National. Go ahead, Carolyn. Uh, yes, this is uh, for the Premier and, and perhaps for the uh, 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 Labour and Immigration Deputy as well. Um, I'm wondering why you're not just closing JBS, given the history at Cargill, and just getting it under control before it gets out of control like it did at Cargill. Well, I'm going to actually defer to Dr. Hinshaw because uh, she has explained uh, the complexity of the outbreaks uh, that we're talking about where we have uh, the, the spread associated with people who are not necessarily working at those sites. Um, I can say that uh, Alberta... Uh, health services, uh, occupational health and safety, uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency and Alberta Agriculture, uh, together with the plants, have all worked very closely on plans to uh, deal with uh, meatpacking facilities. These, these constitute an essential part of the food security of Canadians. In fact, uh, uh, just one of those plants represents 40% of uh, the beef consumption in all of Western Canada. Uh, and so, uh, Obviously, food security constitutes an essential service, and uh, so the direction has clearly been from the government to take every necessary uh, health and safety precaution, uh, and uh, should there be advice from our public health officials that there should be a, um, a suspension, we would, uh, we would obviously receive that, but uh, uh, there has been very uh, strong interagency cooperation um, with the, the, the companies, the unions, and uh, uh, to ensure as much as possible the safety people in those plants and I'd invite Dr. Hinshaw to compliment that answer. 
Thank you, Premier. And absolutely, these are complex outbreaks. So uh, what I would say about Cargill, um, and I did speak yesterday uh, to a reporter about this exact situation to say that what's important is that we keep learning from every situation that we encounter. And what I know about Cargill is that we focused very carefully on the plant uh, when we did learn about cases that were identified in workers and made sure that that plant site uh, had every precaution in place. Uh, but aside from providing recommendations for what needed to be done outside the plant, uh, there we, we didn't necessarily see the outbreak in Cargill uh, and put the same kinds of measures in place throughout the every aspect of the workers' lives. So uh, while recommendations were made about not carpooling, um, and recommendations about households. There weren't necessarily enough supports put in place to make sure that transmission was stopped in all settings of those people's lives. Uh, and so what I think is really critical about these situations is that we don't just look at one particular site, but we look at the whole picture. And my colleagues on the ground, the local medical officers of health, are the leads of the outbreak response who are working to make sure that we are putting every measure in place, not just at works sites, uh, but again, in all different settings. And when we look at Brooks, again, I'm in very close contact with my colleague, the local medical officer of health who's leading that outbreak response. And we are um, absolutely taking a community approach because it can't be just about one work site. Uh, just because someone works in a particular location doesn't mean that they are free from exposure in other parts of their life. And we need to look at the holistic outbreak response to make sure that we are stopping the spread wherever it is occurring. And so those are the lessons that we're learning from Cargill uh, and that we're applying to Brooks and any other site where we do have outbreaks is that we have to look at every single site and make sure that all necessary precautions are taken everywhere they need to be. Okay, we have time for one more. Operator, can you please put through the last caller? Sammy Hudes with Post Media. Go ahead, Sammy. Hi there, for uh, Dr. Hinshaw or Dr. Jaffe, um, last week you, got, you announced that the province would be expanding testing at long-term care homes to uh, asymptomatic residents and staff at facilities where outbreaks have occurred. I'm just wondering what the timeline is for rolling out these additional tests, if it's already underway, and if the process will also depend on each facility's needs uh, at this time. So just where, where is that at at this moment? Sure, so some of that testing has started already and when we did open up that eligibility based on the fact that we had sufficient testing capacity to be able to accommodate some of those additional swabs, uh, what I did is communicated to my colleagues, again the local medical officers of health are the ones on the ground who know these outbreaks, who know the facilities and so the direction I gave to them was that in all outbreaks going forward, new outbreaks that are identified in continuing care, long-term care, that uh, the ability to swab everyone who is in that facility, residents and staff at the time the outbreak is identified, is one additional tool to help with early diagnosis. And so going forward, uh, that's absolutely the part of the outbreak response. For outbreaks that currently are underway, uh, what I said was to really use their best clinical judgment in terms of prioritizing, because arranging for all of these swabs to be taken uh, takes some coordination and work. They have to have the workforce to do it. And it also is quite uncomfortable for those who get the swabs done. And so if there's an outbreak where there's been no new cases for three weeks, and it looks like we might have things well under control, that particular site may not benefit from additional testing, and it may actually be more of a burden for people in that facility, uh, then it may benefit them. So with respect to the ability to test in existing
existing outbreaks. Uh, that's absolutely there based on the clinical judgment of my colleagues at the front line. Uh, but we are focusing again on outbreaks going forward and making sure that we are using our testing capacity to the best clinical effect uh, in order to get the best information to stop these outbreaks uh, and make sure that the spread is contained as quickly as possible. All right, thank you very much. We'll be back with another update tomorrow. All right, it's uh, 4.42, seemed to be a, a long one this afternoon as we had uh, Premier Jason Kenney speaking first and then Minister Leela Ahir, the Minister of Culture, Multiculturalism and the Status of wo uh, Women and then Dr. Dina Hinshaw all take the podium today. Um, we talked about the, the, you know, the latest numbers, also talked about uh, volunteers for quite a long time, about 25 minutes, uh, the province unveiling a couple of new programs Programs there as well. Uh, Dr. Hinshaw asked, uh, being asked a wide range of, of, of topics uh, or a, a wide range of questions on numerous different issues when it comes to the COVID-19 situation in the province from Curl Lake to Cargill and the JBS plants uh, down in southern Alberta and then into the fact that we've had one case at uh, the Sucker Creek First Nation.